Facebook friend, his profile picture was a completely topless woman. Now I'm really triggered. So I said, oh, snap. Turned off Facebook, closed the computer, got on the phone, and called my spiritual father again. Was, he's like, what's going on, Benjamin? I said, look, I was on Facebook again just 10, minutes, 10 seconds ago, and I wasn't looking for it, but a friend of mine, or first of all, I befriended the dude because, you know, nobody got time for that. And I was triggered again. I just need you to pray for me right now. So he prayed for me. I hung up the phone. And then I got on my knees to pray. And I said, Lord, this is the second time I've been triggered on Facebook in the last two weeks. Can you help me understand what's going on? And you know what the Lord showed me? He said, your problem is that you go to Facebook when you feel empty. And so you're looking for something to fill you up. That's why you keep getting triggered on Facebook. And if you don't deal with that fundamental emptiness that drives you there, you're going to be triggered on Facebook again and again and again and again. So I called my spiritual father back, told him what the Lord said, and then I decided to fast Facebook for 30 days. Why? Just to recalibrate, just to reorient my heart and mind before the Lord and to make a statement, I'm not going to be in bondage to this thing. Now, David fought Goliath, right? And David killed Goliath, right? How did David kill Goliath? First of all, what kind of fight was Goliath expecting to have when he came down into the valley? What was he expecting? Hand to hand. He was expecting a sword fight. He was expecting David to come out with his... He was expecting the great warrior to come down with a shield and a sword and a spear and fight hand to hand. How did David fight Goliath? From a distance with a sling. Why did David fight Goliath with a sling? Because he knew better than to get too close to the giant. And when we fight the giant of sin, we are not strong enough to fight it hand to hand. That is, when we get too close to the giant, had David put down his sling and taken out his little sword and shield and went down into the valley and tried to fight Goliath hand to hand, Goliath would have stomped him to death. It would have been over. David knew not to get too close to the giant. But then in Psalm 73, verses 22 and 23, I believe it is, David says, all who are far from you shall perish, he says to the Lord. All who are far from you shall perish. That's verse 28. But in the very next verse he says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. All who are far from you shall perish, but as for me, it is good to be near God. You hear what David's saying? I know not to get too far from the Lord. He knew not to get too close to the giant. And he knew not to get too far from the Lord. The way most of us live our lives, the way a lot of us live our lives, we're tempted to live our lives, we're very close to the giant of sin, and we're fighting it hand to hand every day. But we're very far from the presence of the Lord. So much so that we have to stuff our praise into a sling and try to sling it at the Lord from afar. We worship from a distance, but we fight sin hand to hand, right up in its face. And we have to reverse that and learn to live far away from sin and close to the Lord. We have to learn to draw near to God but draw away from sin. And the scripture said of Job that he shunned evil. He he served the Lord and he shunned evil. And so we have to learn how to shun evil. The, the point I'm making today is that we have to go to the very beginning because sin never starts with some full-on madness. Like, the devil is not going to tempt you to, I don't know, I mean, the devil's not going to tempt me to 
you know, hook up with some girl in the lobby here at this hotel. It's just not going to happen. My wife is right here. My daughter's right here. But he might tempt me to slip a glance in a certain direction. He might tempt me to open up my computer and look at something, or something might trigger me. And if I allow that thing to linger in my heart, just a little bit of darkness in my heart, if I do not bring it into the light, it can pull me deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness. One of the most frustrating things that I experience as a pastor is that typically, is there anybody here that's a doctor? Any doctors here? So I talked to a friend who was a doctor, and he was telling me a man came into his clinic one time, and he said, what's the problem? He said, I've got a pain in my foot. And he said, well, uh, what does it look like? And he said, well, I haven't looked at it yet. He said, what do you mean you haven't looked at it? He said, well, I work in my boots, and I haven't taken off my boots in two weeks because I work all night, and I come home, and I just fall asleep on the bed with my boots on. Then I wake up, and I go right back to work. He said, well, how long has the pain been there? He says, for about two weeks. So he took off the guy's boot, and basically the guy had stepped on a piece of glass, and the glass was embedded in his foot, and the whole thing was just completely infected and just really nasty. So the doctor extracted the glass out of his foot and bandaged him up, but then he said to the man, you've got to take this antibiotic every single day, or else that infection in your foot is going to turn to gangrene, and you're going to have to get that foot amputated. And the man said, okay. But the doctor could tell that he wasn't listening. And he said, wait, wait, listen to me, look at me. And the guy looked at him and he said, you've got to take this pill every single day or else you're going to lose your foot. Do you hear me? The guy goes, yeah, yeah. He says, what are you going to do? I'm going to take this pill every day. About three weeks later, he saw the guy at the hospital again being wheeled out of surgery. He had had his foot amputated. First of all, the guy comes to the doctor and it's almost too late. And second of all, the guy's not willing to take the very simple daily steps to nurse himself back to health. And what I find often as a pastor, the most frustrating thing for me over the years, is that people don't come to me until it's too late. I'm talking about the members of my own congregation. They don't call me until, you know, marriages, they call me when they're 45 minutes away from divorce. You know, like, pastor, the last person we thought we would call is you. And if you can't figure this out for us, we're getting a divorce tomorrow. Well, why are you just calling me today? Why am I the last person you call? And then you expect me to work a miracle. Because in our hearts, we don't seem to think we need accountability, especially in Western culture, until there's something tragic, something dire on the horizon. And what we're missing out by, and you know, accountability. It's hard to talk about accountability in the church because everybody thinks it's all about sexual sin. That's not the, and whenever somebody says they've got an accountability partner, that's typically the only thing they talk about. You know, oh yeah, this person's holding me accountable. This person's holding me accountable. Accountability is not just about sexual sin. When you raise your voice at your wife, do you call anybody and bring that into the light? When you're angry with your wife and you, you feel like she's not listening to you, and maybe you called her a name in your head, even though you didn't speak it out loud. Do you call anybody and bring that into the light? When you feel completely rejected and isolated and misunderstood by your wife and judged, do you call anybody and bring that into the light? If you don't bring that into the light, you're leaving it in the darkness. And if you're leaving it in the darkness, it's a seed that the enemy will use in a sinister way 
to draw your heart away from both your wife and away from the Lord. And what kills all of that is accountability. Accountability is simply a commitment to confess. Yes. And, and your accountability should be another male. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely true. You need another male. So number one, your accountability, you should look for accountability. Number one, accountability can be anybody, any brother in Christ. But you should look for one who's a little bit further in the Lord than you are. Try not to look for one who's in the same place. Who d- Try not to look for one that has the same weakness as you have. For instance, if you yell at your wife every other day, don't try to do accountability with somebody else who yells at their wife every single day. You know, because it, it'll look like this. Hey, bro, just want to let you know, I yelled at my wife again tonight. Oh, yeah? Me too, bro. <laughs> I'm so glad I got you to hold me accountable. <laughs> That's not accountability. <laughs> yeah, that is. All you're doing is enabling one another. Say, hey, we got to keep fighting a good fight, bro. <laughs> That's not accountability at all. Accountability is finding somebody who's a little further along that path than you. You need to find somebody who doesn't yell at their wife. Who do, they might have some other weakness, and they'll tell you about that weakness, but maybe their weakness is not yelling at their wife. And so when you find that person, secondly, you're not only confessing, but you're giving that person the right to confront you. Accountability is first and foremost a commitment to confess, but it is secondly giving away the right to be confronted. It's taking down the wall. Somebody who loves me enough to confront me. In confrontation, remember, I call. I have a buddy that I do uh, accountability with for my marriage, a pastor friend of mine. And uh, I called him up on the phone a couple months ago. And I said, yeah, you know, I was really frustrated with my wife tonight because she got really angry at me and she raised her voice and she said some things to me that I really think were not fair. And he said, oh, yeah? I said, yeah. And he said, so what do you feel the Lord is saying to you? And I'm thinking, no, that's not why I called you. <laughs> like, you're supposed to be telling me what the Lord is saying to my wife. Like, you're supposed to tell me. <laughs> well, your wife shouldn't do that, bro. You know what I mean? But that's not his function in my life. His function in my life is not to correct my wife. His function in my life is to confront me and to help me bring my heart back before the Lord. And he said, so what do you think the Lord is saying to you? And I was like, well, I don't know, man. I really don't know. And he says, well, you need to discover that. Have you spent any time before the Lord about this? I said, well, no, I haven't. He said, why don't you go get before the Lord for a little while, talk to him, maybe get out your journal, journal about it a little bit, hear what the Lord is saying to you, and then call me back. I was like, great idea. So I got off the phone with him, and I was mad at him. A little bit. And I got before the Lord, and I could hear what the Lord was saying to me. And then I called him back and said, I really think the Lord is reaching for this in me. And he said, man, that sounds like a Lord to me. And he prayed with me on the phone, and then I felt better. You know what happened? What could have transpired in my heart, bitterness, judgment against my wife, unresolved anger, I could have had a little miniature divorce. Divorce doesn't happen all at once. It's never just a decision you make at once. You make it every day for a period of years and have little micro-divorces, little miniature divorces. 
before you finally have one big divorce. And so, bringing it into the light. So what accountability is, is number one, a commitment to confess. Number two, it is surrendering the right to be confronted. And number three, we've got to get out of our mind. I hear, I hear believers say this all the time. I don't have anybody to hold me accountable. We lament about accountability. Nobody holds me accountable. Nobody calls me. I hear believers crying about that all the time. And it just drives me crazy. It's, you ever heard this one, Pastor? I haven't been at church in three months and nobody even called me. <laughs> so you disappeared from the community and you're mad at the community for not chasing you? Why didn't you call somebody? Accountability is a personal responsibility. Nobody is responsible to hold you accountable. You are responsible to hold yourself accountable. Accountability is something you must pursue for yourself. Not some, Nobody can give you accountability. You have to take it. You have to seek it. You have to pursue it. Whenever people ask me, can you hold me accountable? I'll say, sure. If you call me every day, I will hold you accountable. Meaning, I'm not taking responsibility to call you every day. Any more than I expect my pastor to call me every day. My responsibility is to reach for accountability when I need it. My responsibility is to reach for accountability when I need it and to be honest about the fact that I need it. And you know what's interesting? I find I need accountability almost every day. But the, the members of the body of Christ are so spiritually mature that they can go a whole year and never need it one time. I talk to some of the guys in my church, I'm like, man, you are like Thomas Aquinas or Augustine. You are so spiritually mature. You never need accountability. Like You never have a negative thought. You never have an unbelieving thought in your mind or heart. You've never turned away from the Lord in even the smallest way. You are so awesome. I'm, not, I'm totally not qualified to be a pastor because I need, I need accountability almost every day. But the problem is we see accountability as something we need for the big thing. Well, there was no big thing. I didn't cheat on my wife. No big thing. Yeah, my wife and I had an argument, but I didn't hit her. I know a guy who hit his wife. That's what we do, right? We compare ourselves to the next guy. You know, well, at least I was calm. This guy was yelling at his wife and cussing her out. I never, I never cussed my wife out before. And we excuse ourselves from the need for accountability. And you know what we're actually doing is we're cutting off the body of Christ from the resources that it needs to heal itself and make itself grow. What if everybody in this circle walked out of this room with a strong commitment to pursue accountability from some other guy in this circle? Do you know what would happen? All of you would begin to share your strengths with one another and cover your weaknesses. And within a year, the kind of fellowship that God would bring out of this body right here would absolutely blow you away. All right, I'm getting some blank stares. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? What do you feel? How does this strike you?
great question. How do you overcome pride? There's really only one way to overcome pride. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to humble yourself. And humbling yourself simply means doing what you're afraid to do even though you're afraid to do it. You know, I've seen so many groups begin accountability but not continue it. You know why? Because the first time you call somebody and bring something into the light, it feels so good. Ah, you just walk away from that experience feeling so good. And then it felt so good to bring that into the light. But then what if it happens again before the day is over? <laughs> now the enemy starts working on your mind. You're going to call it again and say the same thing? Like you just brought that into the light, dude. You know? Like, well, I'll, I'll let that one pass. If it happens again, I'll call. But then maybe a few days later, you call again. You know what happens? Within two weeks, you're so afraid that you're bothering the other person, that you're disappointing the other person, and that you're presenting yourself as a weakling. And especially if that person is not reciprocating. Meaning, accountability doesn't work unless it's reciprocal. If it's just you calling me, telling me your weaknesses, after a while you're not going to call me anymore. Because I've, pre- I've inadvertently presented myself to you as a perfect one. He doesn't have any weaknesses. You know the easiest way to perpetuate accountability? Is make it reciprocal from the very start. If I call you and share one of my weaknesses with you, you should minister to my weakness and then share one of your weaknesses with me. And even if not in that conversation, watch this. Let's say I go off on my wife, and I call her every name in the book. And then I call Pastor Q on the phone. Right? Or I call Aaron on the phone. Hey, A-Ron. <laughs> I'm like, hey, hey, A-Ron. I need you to pray for me, bro. Because me and my wife got in an argument. I kind of lost my temper. I called her some Korean curse words. <laughs> That's the first thing they teach you when you start learning Korean is the curse words. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. And he goes, wow, man, I'm sorry to hear that. How are you feeling? Man, I just feel totally broken and full of remorse. I can't believe I did that. Like, I promised myself I would never do that to my wife again. And I did it again. I don't know what to do. So now I'm in full confession mode. There's no need to confront when there's full confession. The purpose of confrontation is to procure full confession. When there's partial confession, then there's need for confrontation. So if I call him, I'm like, hey man, I just went off on my wife, and I called her these names, and I know I shouldn't have done that, but she shouldn't have pushed me the way she did, man. So now I'm defending myself. I'm confessing, but yet defending myself simultaneously. I'm justifying my sin. Aaron needs to say, Dude, yeah, you know, maybe maybe she pushed you in some ways, but you're still responsible before God. Like no matter what she did, you're still you got to stand before God all by yourself. 
And you got to deal with the fact that what you did to your wife is wrong. He's got to find a way. And if Aaron knows me, he'll learn how to get in there and take truth and shove it up my ribs. And get right in between there with truth and get it right into my heart. And he won't let me off the hook until I'm like, you know what, man, you're right. You know what? I was completely wrong. And whether or not she was wrong is between her and God. She's got to stand before God and deal with that. That's not my business. But what i got to deal with is the fact that I was wrong. I've got to stand before God and deal with that. And Aaron says, let me pray for you, bro. At this point of accountability, it has nothing to do with title. It's, not, it's completely non-hierarchical. That's what we got to get in our mind. Is that accountability is completely non-hierarchical. This whole thing in Korean culture about you got to call me young. And, and don't get me wrong, I totally respect that. But, even as an older brother, if I find a guy who might be two or three years younger than me, but who's stronger than me in this area, I need to reach for that strength. Do you think Christ cares that he's two years younger than me? If Christ put a strength in him for me, I need to utilize that strength and reach for it. Now, Aaron just prayed for me. He lovingly confronted me. And then he encouraged me to go make things right with my wife. You need to go in there right now and you need to tell her you're sorry. Right? Great. Wonderful. Situation's over. I went in. I got before my wife. And I wept. And I said, baby, I was so wrong to call you those names. I'm completely wrong. I'm so sorry. And I will never do that to you again. Will you forgive me? Everything's great. A couple days later, Aaron calls me on the phone. And he says, hey man, I need you to pray for me. Like, really, what's going on? Maybe it's not that he yelled at his wife. Maybe he realizes that he's been completely unattentive to his child. Because, you know, I have a daughter. And yesterday my daughter started crying because she said, Daddy, you never play with me and you never pay any attention to me. I feel like you don't love me. And that just caused me to think, man, what kind of a parent am I being to my child? You know what that does for me that Aaron reached back to me? It completes the loop. And it tells me Aaron has the humility to be trustworthy. It just tells me I can call Aaron anytime. I'm not ashamed to tell him anything because he's also not ashamed to tell me anything. And it's not like you need to make something up. Does that make sense? It's just about reciprocating with honesty. And what happens is God begins to yoke us up, strength to weakness, weakness to strength. The point of my strength begins to minister to your weakness, and the point of your strength begins to minister to my weakness, and now we have what's called fellowship. You know that New Testament word, fellowship, koinonia, in the Greek? That word is so commonly misunderstood. We think all we got to do is put some food on the table, and it's called a fellowship. <laughs> and we're going to have fellowship after the service, meaning there's going to be some food. Chips and salsa. That's not what it means. The word koinonia in the Greek, it literally means joint ownership. Fellowship means when I take what's mine and make it yours, and you take what's yours and make it mine, so that we have co-ownership. I own your strengths, you own my strengths. And I am able to bring my weaknesses to you, and you cover them with your strengths. And you are able to bring your weaknesses to me, and I cover them with my strengths. Now we have fellowship. Yeah. Fellowship of the brain makes more sense.
Yeah, because how is fellowship typically built in the body of Christ, in the local church, that is? It's around common interest, or ethnicity, or age group, right? What do you look for? You look for a church that has people like you. I remember when we were creating our small group ministry, our church is extremely multi-ethnic. There's almost not two people alike in the whole church. And we were creating our community group structure. And we were looking at where people lived and trying to put people in community groups based on where they lived. But one community group would have an African, and not just, we, we don't have just like black people, like African American people. We got African, African people, <laughs> like Kenyans and Somalis and, and uh, Nigerians. We got all kind of Nigerians. And, and, uh, and so you might have an African, a Cambodian, a Filipino, a Mexican, and a white person in one group. And the white person might be 70, and the Filipino might be 21, and the African might be 40. You know what I mean? It's so mixed up. And at first, people were complaining and saying, I want a group with people I can relate to. Because we completely misunderstood fellowship in the body of Christ. We think fellowship is based on mutual interest. We think fellowship is based on similar experience. We think fellowship is based on generations. But in the body of Christ, it's based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Not any of that. So you're telling me you can't fellowship with people who don't look like you, sound like you, have the same experiences as you? Well, don't go to heaven. You know what I mean? Like, like you're not going to enjoy heaven very much. Right? But I'm glad you brought up the fellowship of the ring. How was the fellowship of the ring ring built? Like, what did the fellowship of the ring consist of? Who were, who's in the fellowship of the ring? Okay, there were three hobbits, an elf, a dwarf, a wizard, and two humans. That was the fellowship of the ring. Almost no two people alike. As a matter of fact, dwarves and elves had beef with each other. None of them trust, and even the two humans didn't trust one another because they were both rival heirs of the same throne. So they were in competition. And nobody thought anything of the hobbits because they're just little, you know, I can't. Where did they find their fellowship? What brought them together? The ring. That's why it's called the fellowship of the ring. It's not the fellowship of hobbits and the fellowship of dwarves and the fellowship of elves and the fellowship of Koreans and the fellowship of black people and the fellowship of Mexicans. It's the fellowship of the ring. That is, their fellowship revolved around their common commitment to a common cause. And if we build fellowship around a common commitment to the common cause, what is our common cause? Jesus, but specifically what? What is our purpose as the body of Christ? What's our goal? What's our mission? What are we supposed to be doing? Why are we here? What does that mean? Presenting each one perfect in Christ. Our common purpose is earlier there in Ephesians 4, verse 11, the following, where it says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edification or building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of the body of Christ, to a perfect man, then we will no longer be infants, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in all things into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, which is rooted together in love, grows by what every uh, part uh, contributes. So the way the body of Christ is supposed to function is that we're supposed to speak the truth in love to one another, which is accountability. And by speaking the truth in love to one another, we're all supposed to grow up into him who is the head. What happens when we don't speak the truth in love to one another is we don't grow up. There's no growing up into him who is the head, from whom the whole body grows to, to fruition or completion by what every part contributes. And that's so important there. What every part contributes there in Ephesians 4.16. Every part of the body of Christ is supposed to contribute something to the growth of the whole body of Christ. That's accountability. Accountability says, I have something I have to share with the body. I've got to give to the body. But contemporary Christianity says, the body grows by what the pastor gives. The pastor gives us the truth, and the pastor gives us the teaching. And then, we give the offering. We give the money, and he gives the word. And that's how the body grows. But that's not the biblical portrait of it. The biblical picture of the growth of the body of Christ is speaking the truth in love. All of us together. Speaking the truth in love. Does that make sense? So how do we do that? It's a daily humbling process, isn't it? an intentional process of breaking down walls of being the body of Christ being willing to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed Joy. And that's what I 
so good. That's very good. Jesus, others, yourself. Where'd you get that from? I don't remember. Was that your own insight? It might have been. I just need to know who to quote because I'm definitely going to use it's that. Anywhere in the internet. Oh, is it? I remember doing this like 25 years ago. Was that Sunday School Hill? Jesus, others, yourself? Anybody, anybody did it. I mean, Sunday School. Oh. You know, your joy is putting Jesus first, <coughs> others, and then you do that lot. Well, that's definitely very good. That's very good. Thank you for sharing that. What do you think of Pastor Q? I think that uh, we're thinking about uh, how we grow ourselves together uh, in that aspect. And I, I, I just, uh, we have, at least for me, I feel like I have not given enough time and energy to, you uh, almost built my life as if I don't need anyone else. You know, and I'm self-sufficient myself kind of thing. But I do know. But, you know, as a pastor, I feel like I cannot. I need to do it with some other pastor. I think that's probably wrong too, you know. And um, that somehow this is not something that we practice as we should. <coughs> when, when you do discipleship groups, you know, intentionally, uh, you, you may do a little bit for the time, for year or not, but has not become a lifestyle as we have families and you know, and living our day-to-day life. For example, if you had accountability, but you also <coughs> accountability with your wife, right? Yep. It's a two-part. Yeah, definitely. If you you don't want to just disclose that information, oh, you know, okay, I'm struggling with your accountability, but also, eventually, hopefully, you're a partner, right? You need to confess it. Or you're a partner, right? So you need to confess it. That's a, she has to, that has to come from life with her as well. Absolutely. It's a hand-in-hand thing, right? Yeah, your accountability is first God. She's going to get so mad. <laughs> 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 that means she cares. <laughs> when your wife is mad, that means she still cares. When she stops getting mad, you're in trouble. She's already checked out. Your accountability is first God. Your accountability is second your wife. And your accountability is third another brother in the body of Christ that you can go deep with and build trust. In <coughs> aspect, somehow we think that almost like you know, friends, you don't intentionally look for fun, you know, you some sort of think that friends or something happens in your life. Yeah. When you be intentionally looking for it. Right. Same thing about kind of like something we need to be intentionally looking for rather than somebody that happens somehow some by chance or something. Yeah, totally. You know what I found is that the most powerful way to build it is when someone, a mature person who has embraced it, establishes it. So, I mean, I'm a pastor, but I thought I understood accountability. But I was talking to a friend of mine one time who's also a pastor. And he said to me, you know, why don't you and I check in about that every day from now on? Just for five minutes. Like, just let me know how your day's going. I'll let you know how my day's going. And we'll just pray for one another. How's that? 
was like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds good. You know, yeah, I mean, I said, yeah, but I didn't really, I mean, in my heart and mind, I didn't understand how serious it is. And so the next day, he calls me on the phone. He just calls me up. He's like, hey, bro, how you doing? How's your day go? And no, 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 first thing he did when he called me the next day was he started to tell me about his day. He's like, hey, man, I just wanted to check in and let you know, man, I was like, I was at the light in my car, and I looked over to my right, and the woman in the car next to me was like very scantily clad, and I was definitely triggered at that moment. And I just wanted, just just happened a few minutes ago. I just wanted to call and just bring that into the light, bro. I was like, oh wow! Like he offered me accountability, but then when he called me, he immediately made himself vulnerable. I was like, what that did was it immediately established trust with me, because it wasn't about him doing something for me. It was like fellowship, and so I was like, oh wow. And then I thought, wait, did anything happen with me today? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, uh, oh, yeah, this morning, me and my wife, we had a tense conversation. And, and you know, I was just a little bit hurt when I left that conversation. I don't know if I processed it correctly. I might need to go back and talk to a lawyer tonight about what went on. I said, all right, bro, let's pray right now. And we prayed for one another. And it was over. It was like maybe less than 10 minutes. And the next day, he called me again. Why is it important that he called me? He called me. It was important for me at that time because doing that every day was not in my brain. It was like not in my head. It wasn't, wasn't a part of my life yet. It's so foreign to the way I live my life. And he established it with me. For the first two weeks, he called me every day. And then by the third week, I beat him to the punch. And I called him. You know? And uh, it was, we, we built over this time such a deep bond. We don't talk every day anymore. But we still talk like three, four, five times a week. Like, and if anything happens, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, I'm a, I know what I'm going to talk to my brother about, you know. And then I'll call him later on and be like, hey, man, <laughs> this, this is what happened. This is what's going on. And what I found is that bringing things to the light quickly and having one person that I build that with, and I've got several people that I do that with, but this one person is like my core. Like, this is my, he's my, um, and he sees me the same way, you know. And so he'll call me in a second if something goes down. I'll call him in a second if something goes down, and we bring it to the light. And so kind of establishing that is the hardest thing. Once it's established, it becomes like a culture. Does that make sense? And also understanding, I mean, there are guys that I've been trying to build that with for, for months, some even more than a year, but they're not yet receptive to it. And you don't get angry about it. You don't get hurt about that because that's the quickest way to cut them off. Like, if they sense that you're hurt, that you that they haven't called you back or you haven't called them, if they sense that, then they'll feel like there's a wall that they can't open. When they're ready, they won't reach out to you because they feel like they've already ruined it with you. And so I'm quick to kind of, you know, say, oh, no, it's okay, dude. No, it's totally okay. I'm so sorry I didn't call you. Hey, man, don't worry at all. It's totally, you know, when you're ready for this, let me know I'm here. There's no condemnation at all. It took me years to be ready to actually do real accountability. Does that make sense? Most of us have it. It's just not a part of church culture in America, in Korea, in the world. It's not really part of church culture. I've yet to see a culture that this is actually a part of. But, I mean, you read that James 5 passage, and he says, Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. That's something we just don't do. 
And we don't do it because of the Reformation and the priesthood of all believers. You know, what, what Luther was actually trying to do is do away with the need to confess to a priest. You have to confess to a priest. He was saying Jesus is our great high priest. But the way we took it, we took Luther and ran. Now we don't have to confess to anybody but Jesus. And so we took that as a license to keep everything inside and to try to deal with everything by ourselves. But James said very clearly, and it goes right along with it, Luther didn't believe the book of James belonged in the Bible. He called it an epistle of straw and said there was no truth in it at all. So no wonder he didn't take that part about confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I think a lot of healing doesn't happen because we do not know how to confess our sins one to another and pray for one another that we may be healed. I think God could heal stuff in a second that could take years and years and years to get free from because we simply don't confess it to one another. And then I'll say this. There's a percentage of guys in the body of Christ and probably a percentage of guys in this room right now who are struggling with addictive behaviors. And that's that's a real tough thing to deal with in the body of Christ. First of all, I want to say that um, a high percentage of us at some point in our lives struggled with addictive behaviors. I had a, a very, very horrible battle with pornography addiction. And it was, it was terrible. And it took years to break free from it. And um, what I want to say is... Um, so my way of breaking free was to go into a closet and pray until the Lord set me free. You know what I mean? Like that was that's all I knew how to do. I'm Pentecostal. You know, I grew up in Pentecostalism. Like you just pray and God meets you. And you know what? He will. But stewarding the truth is something that we need help. Kind of like when we were doing the scripture together. The the what you observed is that it's much easier when we're doing it together as a group than it is to do it by ourselves. It's much easier. And so, when you're talking about addictive behavior, here's the problem with addiction. It's not just an, uh, it's not just an action that's repeated over time. It's a superhighway. It's a brain pathway. So anything that you do multiple times, anything that you do repeatedly, creates a pathway in the brain. And the longer you do it, the wider and broader that pathway becomes. And if you've been doing it for years, it becomes a super highway. Any action, even driving home from work. You drive home from work every night, right? You know what happens? The way home from work gets etched into your brain. And it becomes a pathway. It becomes a super highway. And if you've done it for years, you've driven the same way home, that's why you can think about five other things and still drive home. You can have a phone call. You can be listening to the radio and immersed in thought. Right? You're eating a, a hamburger, listening to the radio, and talking on the phone and shaving simultaneously. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you still go straight home. Or you think to yourself on the way home, I'm going to stop by the store. And then you drive right past the store and go straight home automatically, right? Because you were an autopilot, right? Because that highway took you there. You fall asleep driving and you still go home. You still go home. <laughs> Well, that's supernatural. <laughs> that's not the brain. That's Jesus. If that, if that ever happened, that's, that's the angels. They got you home. Now, yeah, that's a Tesla. <laughs> so to stop. So what we. So I remember when I was going through it, I thought to myself I, a thousand times. I said, "Lord, I'm not going to do this anymore." 
I will never do this again. I will not do this again for the next two weeks. That's as long as it lasted. Two weeks. That's as long as my own resolve. Because stopping an addiction is like getting on the freeway and stopping traffic. And you can do it. If you're urgent enough, you can get out on the freeway and go, stop! Everybody, stop! And you run around, you know, if there's an opening in the traffic that's enough for you to get out there and go, stop! The traffic will stop. But how long can you hold them there? You just have to go, stop! 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 And the cars at first will stop and go, oh man, he's serious. What's going on? What's going on? They'll look around, what's going on? And after a while, say five, ten minutes, they don't see anything but a crazy dude on the freeway going, stop! They start to inch up closer to you. I'm like, stop! Stop! Pretty soon the cars start going around you. Or a car just runs you over. And pretty soon, the highway's going again. That's what it's like in the brain to try to stop an addiction by yourself. But what if you had 10, 15, 20 guys to come out on the freeway with you? If you had enough help, and what if you had the police force, the power of the Holy Spirit, to come out there with sirens and stop the traffic? You know what? If you get the government out there with you, you can actually turn the cars around and make them go the other direction. Yes. So there's this group um, called Fight Club. Have you heard of that? Uh, I, I saw the movie. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> 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 Just beat one another. <laughs> 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 you got sin in your life, get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's called Fight Club 414. Hmm. So about a year ago, a co-worker of shared that he he led maybe 10 groups through that at his church. It's a really large church. And uh, it had up to like 100 guys. You know, it's uh, basically like a group of accountability. They have a program that they go through. He says that he's seen a lot of change there, right? Where the group, sometimes uh, one-on-ones become hard for us. Like, what's the next step? Right? Yep. Who do we find, right? Mm-hmm. How do we find the right, you know, space? Yeah. It's, a bunch of guys that, uh, so they go through scripture, exercise, mm-hmm. and there's like three different facets, mm-hmm. the spiritual, physical, and, you know, I guess emotional. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's something that uh, I was thinking about for, for the men. That would be awesome. Here. And there's a lot of programs several, like that. Yep. Yeah, several of the guys here have been talking about you know, some type of men. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I was a part of one for a while, after, even after I was delivered. Uh, I was a part of one because I wanted to see what the curriculum was like and go through it. And it was called Avenue, and it, it's 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 but it's. Uh, it, was, it was good. It's good, but. Sounds like this fight club thing is awesome. I don't know. I would like to see how they ran that. Yeah, because he's run through, like I said, 10 different versions throughout the seven or eight years. Right. And there's just not too many anything like this, right? So one of the that. initial ones would be like a bonfire, mm. and there's, you know, 40, 50 guys there. You know, they throw into the fire their addiction. Mm. Right? Mm. People are bringing pornography. People are bringing whatever, throwing it into the fire and kind of demonstrating physically, you know, that we're here, we're going to be accountable, 
I just imagine guys like throwing their girlfriends in. <laughs> you are the source of my sin. <laughs> something for you guys to talk about and look into. But I think a culture of accountability is even more basic. Yeah. Kind of figuring out a pathway to freedom. Yeah. Not every guy is going to need um, freedom from addiction. But everybody is going to need accountability. Mm-hmm. And so kind of creating that pathway, that culture of accountability. You know, I feel like that is... You know, what I did with our group uh, at our church is um, we started with the Scripture. Just started by meeting every Saturday to memorize large portions of Scripture together. We would do Scripture for like 30 to 40 minutes every Saturday morning. Memorize like multiple verses. And then all week long, they would have to recite those verses over and over and over and over again. And then, for the rest of the time, I would do... I or one of the guys would do some type of a teaching for 15-20 minutes then we'd have a discussion and then we'd break into groups and they would share about how their week has gone and so building that and so what I found with providing that scriptural foundation what was so powerful about it is it gave an offensive weapon immediately right off the bat so one guy shared about he said one night uh, temptation hit him at like 9 o'clock at night and he was so tempted to open up his computer, look up some porn, and do his thing, you know. And he said when that temptation hit him, he was alone in his apartment. He had three roommates, and all of them were gone. But he said he turned on the worship music and went into the center of his floor in his living room and started shouting, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of your mind and in your effort. And he just started shouting that whole passage again and again and again and again and again until the temptation broke off of him in the presence of the Lord came. So having that passage of scripture memorized became for him and a lot of the guys an offensive weapon to ward off temptation. Now, what would have been even more powerful is before he started his shouting match with the devil, to grab the phone and call one of the guys and go, hey dude, I need you to pray with me right now. Temptation just hit me. Now, oftentimes, we can look back on a situation and say, ooh, you know what, I should have called right there. Write that down in your journal and just make a decision. Next time I'm going to be more cognizant of that moment. And then secondly, getting into this, oh, this is the powerful thing about accountability. When you get in the habit of reaching out to one another, what you'll find is that you may be calling a guy to seek accountability for yourself, but you may rescue him in that moment. And I've seen that happen so many times. Man, I'm so glad you called, because I was just about to go off on my wife. Or I'm so glad you called, because I was just about to take out my computer and go buck wild. You know what I mean? And I've seen that happen so many times, where guys, a guy was just reaching out to another guy because he needed personal prayer, but he actually, that call, ended up rescuing another guy from the fire they were about to fall into. And so that culture of accountability, it works wonders. So like you shared, does everyone have an accountability partner? 
I think we need a little bit of coaching for accountability because mm-hmm. I, I do have some friends that, you know, we have some friends that even when we talked about people who are very similar to you, you know, friends um, who maybe in similar backgrounds, same school, same background, or something like that, but I realize that when sometimes that happens, we end up just complaining to one another. It's not really accountability. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think there's some of that little bit of coaching and some learning that we need to do. Um, and, uh, and I think it's absolutely right that we do. Uh, uh, maybe we have maybe the relationships that we do have and try to change it for the way that it might be more edifying in play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, that we have to learn a little bit about how to do that. Yeah. And so a cool th- a cool way to do that is just to set the rules. You know. So let's say I talk to my buddy and we complain to each other about our wives last night. Let's say. Maybe the next time we talk. We'll set the rules. And I'll say, hey, man, can I address something? Sure. You know, it seems to me that every time you and I talk, we just complain to one another about our wives. And uh, I'm definitely not blaming you for that. It's just as much me. It's, it's both of us. But I think it'd be better for us if, if I call you to complain about my wife, you speak the truth in love to me, and you call me to go before the face of God and seek the face of God get right with her. In other words, maybe a rule would be no mutual complaining. Meaning, if I'm calling to tell you about my situation, wait till you've spoken the truth and love to me about my situation before you start telling me about yours. Does that make sense? But both of us are there. And it's really hard. I, I think maybe a fine line would be we don't want to get preachy. It's not about preaching to one another. It's discipleship, but it's not a hierarchical thing. It's not a hierarchical form of discipleship. It's us simply being vulnerable to one another and then kind of receiving that vulnerability, receiving the vulnerability of the other and giving whatever I have to direct you back to say is the elders in the church need to be sharing openly with the pastor. First and foremost, your first level of accountability is the senior pastor. Because, and this is this is a big one for me, if I'm going to trust anyone with authority in the house, I've got to be able to trust them to be vulnerable with me about, I don't expect perfection from anyone. But I do expect vulnerability, especially from the closest leaders who lead with me. And so that's something that I communicate to all the elders and the associate pastors. If I find out that you have some issue in your life that you're confessing outside, but you're not telling me about it, 
that's a problem that we have to deal with. I can deal with anything if you share it with me. Does that make sense? And so that would be the first level of accountability that I would, I would. Uh, what about like using the like ministry leaders and just all reports and things So here's the thing about accountability. No, 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 no. Because then there's only a certain number of people that a senior pastor can can actually do real accountability with. And if there's 30 people in that group, it's not going to work. There should be like seven at the most. But here's the thing. Even though I said it's non-hierarchical, there are, the rule is you should only share with people that which is edifying to the people. One of my associate pastors had an issue one time, and he came and shared it with me, which he needed to do. I'm very thankful that he shared it with me. But I instructed him not to share it with anyone else in the church at that time. Why? Because it would not have been edifying. It would have been destructive. If he just called some regular guy in the church and said, hey, this is what's going on with me, that issue was too grievous to deal with at that level. In other words, that person in the church would not be capable of speaking the truth in love to somebody they looked up to as a pastor in the church. And so that only with... Now, there are individuals in the church that he could have done that with who had the level of maturity in Christ to be able to handle the situation and to walk through it with him in grace and love. As long as they knew that I was dealing with it because he's in my direct downline. And so... I needed to deal with that first. And so it's always about edifying. I don't share anything with anyone that would not be edifying. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, it's something we but I think you do need you do need some people that you need to share with uh, to share with and accountability with. You know, and, and something you can be honest with. Definitely. You know, but I think that have a have a different Level different uh, degrees of I think accountability. Yeah. I think in this sense, I think what is something about well, something that he needs to talk personally or not. Yeah. I think you need I think you need somebody like that as well as I think. I think I think we need more than one. Yeah, definitely. You know, and so I think probably there are, there are different needs out there. Absolutely. And, and so I feel like we can be accountable with anybody to a certain degree. There's a, there's a certain degree in which I can be accountable to anybody. Any, any person in the body of Christ, I can talk to at a certain degree. And then there's another degree where I have a small circle of individuals that I'll deal with those things with. And then there's another degree where that circle gets even tighter. But even that stuff, when it gets dealt with there at that higher level, then actually I can start sharing at lower levels. Because now I'm sharing about how I had this issue... But this is how I dealt with it. And this is who I submitted myself to so that I could deal with this issue. And now it once again becomes something that's building up and mutually beneficial to the body of Christ. That makes sense? The part of that is like understanding where they are in Christ, how much they can handle, what they can handle. I think one of the things I think Robert I think, you know, even if I have accountability, it comes with certain matters of organization. A person you want to you know, have accountability with may not be able to handle it. 
But then you're that fed up that you may need to show it other than who is able to handle it. Is that help in that matter? Yep. I don't think I don't think you could because I don't think you could get our common to tell me to share any part of our right. Right. Something that you need to be limited because for certain reasons. You just need at least one person in your life who's mature enough to handle anything. You need at least one person that you can share everything with. No holds barred. Then you find somebody. <laughs> I think what you'll find is there's there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that can handle it, but you have to seek them out. I think that's the thing. We all learn and understand so many things, but we're not willing to go through the little baby steps that's required to get there. Right. But you you share that it took you years mm-hmm. just to prepare. Right. And then it probably took you years to build the trust. Mm-hmm. with the people, mm-hmm. right? So we're seeing the fruit of that, and that's a story to us. Mm-hmm. Where do we start, right? Yeah. If this is day one, yeah. we can't be sitting here passively, you know, just listening. Mm-hmm. We've got to be thinking about, all right, what's our next step? Yeah. What are we going to do? And then what are we going to do after that? Mm-hmm. And when it fails three times, what are we going to do after that? Mm-hmm. Right? So I think, I mean, to your point, you have to build that trust. I don't think it's mutually exclusive, like, hey, black or white, like, you know, yes or no. It's a, do I have someone in the church that I have been able to build that trust with? Then, inside the church, I don't see any issue with that. Right. right. But it's the lack of trust with that person. That's more of the issue, in my opinion, than whether it's in or out of the church. Yeah. I think that also, I think, to go back what you said, it's not to, like, I can only share somebody outside because they're not close to me. They are not being humble enough. The things I want to hide. Mm-hmm. See, I can tell strangers about things I'm going through. Because they there, I have any impact on my life. The people I know, if I share, it's going to impact in my life. So I think the question has to be, is it because I really do not want to, and I want to talk about it, but I don't want real accountability. Even if I want to talk to somebody who does not know me, who is not involved in my circle. Because they were like, if they are like an impact on what's happening in my life, I can sort of, I can be, you know, I can fake it. You know, sometimes we share without really sharing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel good about sharing, but without really asking for help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Facebook is, but we take a lot of things without asking for it. You're not really accountable. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes accountability looks like this. Yeah, I'm struggling in some areas of my life with some particular things that are really causing me some grief right now. And, uh, yeah, I just need you to encourage me and pray for me. That is not accountability. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't said anything. (laughs) What things, what specific things, what is going on? I mean, honestly, what it really comes down to is, uh, and this is what the Lord hit me with, that uh, this, was, this was kind of the end of the road of the invulnerability mass for me, was uh, I'm afraid to share with another man who's nothing, but I, I say, but I share everything with the Lord, and I'm not afraid to share with God who's 
judge of all the earth, but yet I'm afraid to share with man? It's like, man, that means I don't share with man because I'm afraid. But I share with God because I'm not afraid. That is definition fear of man. And no fear of the Lord. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm afraid of man. You know? I mean, who is another man but somebody else that's saved by grace? Just like you. Why would I be afraid to tell a man? But I'm not afraid to tell God? Does that make sense? Confessing to me is not a big deal. If confessing to God is not a big deal to me, it means I have no fear of the Lord. It means I just don't understand how grievous my sin is to Him. Or I have such a hyper view of grace that sin is no longer a big deal. Oh yeah, Christ died for it. But I forget that it cost Christ everything. And that if I continue in sin, I'm trampling on the blood of Jesus. And I don't tremble about that before God, but, I'm afraid, but I tremble before man. I tremble before man because I'm afraid of losing my respect. And if I'm afraid of losing my respect, I really have no fear of God. him and found out that he had been struggling deeply for those two weeks. And so I said, well, how come you didn't call me? And he said, I was afraid of letting you down. And I said, who am I? Afraid of letting me down? Who am I? I said, let me ask you a question. If I was sitting in your room, you came home tonight and I was sitting in your room, would you look at pornography with me in the room? So what about tomorrow night? Nope. I said, if I sat in your room every night for the next year, would there be one night when you looked at pornography? He said, absolutely not. I'll never do that with you. I said, but yet God is in your room every night and you don't mind? I never thought of it that way. And that's what God hit me with during that, that season when I was struggling in that area. was, oh my goodness, it dawned on me, I had zero fear of the Lord. His presence means nothing to me. But he can be in the room, and it doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't, it doesn't cause me to think twice or to tremble that God is sitting right there looking at me. I just either don't believe he's in the room, or I, yeah, right, or I think his, like, you wouldn't do it with me in the room, but you do it with God in the room. That means you've elevated man above God. You have more of a fear of man than God. And sometimes... It just takes somebody to open my eyes, to confront me with truth, sometimes every day, to be brought back to the truth. And so really all it's about is turning one another towards the Lord. 
Because once the fear of God is born in our hearts, we don't have any more fear of man. And I don't need to be afraid of losing my respect with you, because I don't need you to respect me. And once I realize how grievous my sin is, I realize I've lost the right to be respected a long time ago. I gave that up. My sin is so gross, I don't have the right for any of you to respect me. All I can do is champion the grace of God. And say, God is so gracious that I'm here today, but I totally don't deserve it. And once that's born in my heart, I'm not worried about losing respect anymore. Or being judged. Shoot, if God didn't judge me, why should I worry about you judging me? You know what I mean? Like God said, neither do I condemn you. And so if you condemn me, it's like, do much about that, but thank God he didn't condemn me, because that one would have counted. That one would have hurt. Amen? Sins do I have, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing really here mm-hmm. that I like. So, like, those little things, mm-hmm. like, still in the darkness, mm-hmm. I have not brought into light. Mm-hmm. I see that now that that was holding me on to that. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. So, the light is so profound for me now, mm-hmm. and I need to something that out. Yeah. And um, I have multiple uh, accountability groups, mm-hmm. but I feel like. I mean, sure, big things that I had gone wrong, but the small things mm-hmm. did not bring that into the yes. light. And I feel like now, even many, many years later, still holding on to that. That's good. So, That's yeah. good. Thank you. Thank you Absolutely. for bringing to the light with yes. such a profound one. Amen. So, I don't do that, not to give any credit to the devil, but I noticed that, you know, the small things, the devil can be patient. Yep. But he'll look for that strategic opportunity. Yep. To strike when it's like ready to move. So I think even to your more, to your point even more, it's like as soon as you have that thought about bringing to the light, like obliterate it instantly, yep. even if like the smallest speck, because we will store it and use it for later. So good. You know, I've got a thousand thoughts on that that are coming to my head, but this, the devil, we tend to think episodically. The devil, he thinks in terms of seasons. Like he's thinking about a whole series, and we're only thinking about one episode. And, you know, there are certain series that you watch on television where what happens in one episode is setting something up that's going to happen in season three. It happened in the third episode of, epi- of season one, but it set up something in season three. That's how the devil works. Like, 
He wants seeds in our lives that we don't bring to the light. And he's already planning on how to exploit that in five or ten years from now. And that's, that's so important. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the, the books that really had me think about how they plan and strategize the enemy. And it's, it's pretty eye-opening. I mean, you guys haven't read it, I highly recommend it. But it's like speaking from the context of the demons and, and Satan himself, like how they uh, strategize and plan out where your eventual will fall. If not, you know, you're going to Yeah, the enemy is very sinister. Very subtle. So bringing it into the light quickly is so important. It's good. All right, I think that's enough. Any good book on accountability <coughs> you recommend? Um, on accountability? How about what you mentioned yesterday? What book did I mention yesterday? The God, uh, John Gott. Oh, John Gottman. That's yeah. a great book for uh, on marriage. It's called Why Marriages Succeed yeah. or Fail. Yeah, there it is. What about accountability? Hmm. I can't think of a good book on accountability. Does anybody know it? I don't know it. You should one day. One day. Is she right, bro? Is it what you said? That's what they said. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. You'll buy the first hundred copies. <laughs> <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Shall we pray? Precious Heavenly Father, we love you today. We give you all the praise and glory and honor. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And God, we begin by asking you to pull down our pride. Yes. Yes. Take down our pride. Remove from us the right to be respected. Yes, God. Cause us to embrace humility. Because the only thing that will keep us living in the darkness instead of coming into the light is our religious pride. The Father, today I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would give us the courage to come out of the darkness and into the light. The courage to be vulnerable with one another. Courage to confess our sins one to another and pray for one another that we may be healed. To share our weaknesses openly so that the power, the healing power of the body of Christ can shine upon them. That we may be healed. Holy Spirit, we need you. You know, in our hearts, Lord, we, we honestly don't know how to do it. That's the cry of our heart. Would you teach me how to do it? And Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness to step out in faith. Like Abraham, who went to the place that you would show him, even though he did not know where he was going. And Lord, accountability is like that call. To go to the place that I'll show you. I just hear the Lord saying, I'll show you how to do it. You don't need clarity. You don't need certainty. You just have to know that I'm telling you to do it. And I'll show you how. You just have to keep pursuing accountability. 
you have to keep pursuing vulnerability and openness with one another. You have to make a commitment to build your fellowship with one another through vulnerability and through trust. And I'll show you the rest. So, Father, I believe here at Hope Church you're going to do something unique. Yes, sir. It's not just a reproduction of what you're doing in some other church or in some other place. You're going to do something unique. And I pray you would do it by your spirit and by your power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you would do it. And I know you will. And we give you glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name.